morning, everybody. Um, the reading is from Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17, and it's called Paul's Farewell to the Ephesian Elders. And I read to verse 25, then move on to verses 36 through to chapter 21, verse 14. Hope it flows. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly. Sorry, I should, um, would, yeah. I've lost my place. I'm going back 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testing to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And now I move to verse 36. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Cos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, 
tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Amen. A fairly lengthy um, reading, but um, we'll unpack that in a bit. You'll have noticed, no doubt, that um, it's now nearly two months since we had the summer equinox, and the, the days are drawing in. We're on the slide down to Christmas. Only 133 days, by the way, for those looking forward. And I'm sure that um, you've all started getting your... Well, it's getting a bit wintry, isn't it? Right, you've all got your calendars ready, no doubt, um, for next year. And has anybody got this one marked on their calendar? May the 13th. Yes. You, your kid's birthday. Right, interesting. It's also, would you believe, the most likely date for Eurovision 2023. Ah, big groan, I'm sure. Yeah, does anybody actually watch it? It's, it's one of those things, yeah, well done, Caitlin does. Um, actually, it's one of those things that everyone says, no, never watch it, but they secretly do. Or they record it and fast, through, fast forward through all the rubbish bits, which is most of it, um, just see the nice bits. But um, as you're aware, we came second last year, and did you know that we've come second 16 times? Um, which is interesting, because that's more than anybody else. We've come first five times, and we've come last five times. And you didn't know you were going to get all these Eurovision stats when you came to church this morning, did you? But there is a purpose to it, because out of the five wins, does anybody remember this bunch of erstwhile hooligans? Pardon? What were they called? Bucks Fizz, thank you. Yeah, Bucks Fizz, indeed they were. And for the, for the absolute $64 question, or $64,000 question, what was their song that they won the UK Eurovision Song Contest in 1981 with? I was going to give you a clue, actually, but it was indeed making your mind up. Making your mind up. And I want you to hold that thought, making your mind up, for about the next 10 minutes or so, and we'll come back to you. Because it, it segues very neatly into Paul's missionary journey, his third one, as you can see, obviously. Um, so, what can we... What can we say? Well, if you look at the map there, don't try and look at the detail. You'll actually see the journey that he took. And the important things are um, to note that he started off there, Antioch, um, which is in Syria, and he ended up about 300 miles south in Jerusalem. Now, that 300 miles, he could have just gone down the coast there, and it would, in, if the tides were right and the boats were available, about 10 days 
um, or so. Or he could have gone inland, he could have taken a train, that would have been a camel train, of course. Um, he could have gone inland, and it would have taken maybe a month, three to four weeks, if he really put his foot down, had a Tesla camel or something. Um, but three to four weeks. Instead, he took something like three to four years, and he travelled two and a half thousand miles. The reason being, he wanted to get to this place here, Corinth, which was a little bit of a distance. Two and a half thousand miles, that's not much short of here to New York. And of course, you can get to, here, to New York, as at least a couple here have done, by jumping on Cunard, one of the Queen's ships, and shooting across the Atlantic. Um, unfortunately for Paul, uh, Cunard weren't actually doing cruises around the Mediterranean, so he wasn't able to do that, and he had to get on this merchant ship and that merchant ship and swap ships, and he probably didn't get very good cabin service, and I don't think the bar was up to much either. He was actually probably in the hold. It was tough. It was not easy. Um, about 1,300 miles of his journey was like that. But the first bit was actually overland, 1,200 miles mostly, um, and that was just as difficult. If you think there weren't any um, trains, the, um, you know, they were all on, on strike, the driver was on strike or something, and the airports were all closed, he had to basically either walk it or get a donkey or a horse at best. So about the best speed he could manage was four miles an hour. You think of 1,200-mile journey at four miles an hour, you're talking about six weeks of either walking or sitting in a saddle as a minimum. Um, he'd, be, if he'd, he'd be walking like John Wayne after that, wouldn't he? Um, you know, I, it was hard. This journey was hard. We read it, oh, he went on a journey, his missionary journey, and he visited X, Y, and Z, and then he came back home again. It was really tough. But yet, during it, there were all sorts of things happening. Um, it was really exciting, as well as being tough, because as he went through Galatia, that's the green bit up there, um, he visited some churches he'd, he'd set up before, and he encouraged them, and in return, they encouraged him. And as he went across to the pink bit next to it, um, Asia, he stopped off at Ephesus, and in fact, he spent over two years there, and he set up a brand new church, um, the one they call the Ephesians, would you believe? Um, and he, on his journeying round, he preached to thousands. Equally, thousands came to know Christ as their personal saviour. He set up churches. He, he taught. He nurtured. He healed the sick. Even at Troas, he raised the dead. It was an exciting journey. He'd done two before, and I'm sure as he was coming round, he would have thought, I'd need to be planning my fourth missionary journey. But all this excitement, by the time he got to Miletus, had changed, because from Miletus onwards, it changed to a farewell tour. Complete farewell tour. Um, he wasn't planning anything further. He was planning to stop and say farewell to three groups of friends. At Miletus, at Tyre, and at Caesarea. Um, unlike 
other people's farewell tours, Rolling Stones have one every two years. Um, this was his one and only farewell tour. Um, and thankfully, instead of having all of about four or five chapters, June just read to us the abridged version, you'll be pleased to know. So, let's just back up a little bit. And if, if you were to look in the previous chapter, you'll see that um, in, in uh, chapter 19 there, this was when he was actually still at Ephesus. Um, he put, God had already told him he needed to go to Jerusalem and also to Rome. But he doesn't get mentioned again for something like another nine months um, when he, he emits these words to the, to the Ephesians that he felt compelled to go. Um, God's told me I've got to go to Jerusalem. And I know it's going to be tough. There's going to be prison and hardships. I know that. Um, yet I feel compelled by the Spirit to go. And in fact, God had even probably hinted at more than that because he actually th there said also, none of you will ever see me again. He knew it was the end game. Why? When he'd had these three tremendous journeys and he'd seen thousands coming to Christ, he'd seen churches set up here, here and there, when he'd seen healings, when he'd seen the word going out, he'd seen all of this happening, God said, I want you to forget that. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to end up giving your life. I wonder what he thought about that. But the thing is, he actually listened very carefully to God. I think in our, our lives, sometimes we get so busy with what we've got to do this week. You know, we've got a tick list. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do something else. All the things we've got to get, all our aims and objectives, planning the holiday for this year, for next year, for whatever, um, the extension, we, all the things we want to do, the busyness of life, um, even just keeping up with work. Sometimes it drowns out that small voice that should be inside us. But Paul was careful to listen to God. But not only did he listen to God, um, he also submitted to God. Um, he submitted fully. You know, I wonder if God told you or told me that, okay, I don't want you to um, stand up here and preach anymore. I want you to go off up to London uh, where you're going to be arrested and you're going to be executed. I would find that difficult. But Paul, if you read in Philippians, uh, first chapter, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He wasn't really fussed one way or the other. I'm sure he'd prefer to stay alive, um, but partly because he was then able to preach the word. But he said, if I die, that's good too, because I'll be with God quicker. Um, it was a win-win situation for him. Do we look at it that way? I wonder. He submitted fully. And of course we know, because the Spirit of God was very much in his life, he felt compelled to act on what God said. So, m moving on. His first stop was at Miletus. And it says there that when he was there, he sent for the elders of the church at Ephesus. 
And you can just imagine that. He, he just got off the ship and he just found himself a premierian or something. And he gets his... Uh, is that Christchurch to Ephesus? Oh, great. Put me through to the elders, can you? Yep, right. We're having a little barbie tonight. I wonder if you'd like to pop over. It wasn't like that because Ephesus was about 65 miles away and they didn't have very good mobile coverage. Um, and so he had to send a messenger who would probably take the best part of a week to get there. And then think of it from the point of view of the elders and any others in the church who wanted to go back. They'd been called to go and see this guy. Um, they're not quite sure why. But for them, it's a 130-mile round trip on foot. Just think about that. That's about two weeks of solid walking. Um, how many friends have you got that you'd, go, you'd spend two weeks walking to go and see? Um, I won't ask you to... That's a rhetorical question, by the way. I won't ask you to embarrass yourself here. Um, but when he got there, um, you know, he was respected and revered by the people. And that is why they were prepared to do it. He had spent two years of his life introducing them to Christ, nurturing them as young Christians, teaching them, um, getting them filled with the Spirit, bringing them up, growing them in Christ, building a huge church there. There was a powerhouse in the area. They loved this guy. He'd spent that two years, seven days a week with them. They knew him really intimately um, and they had this love and respect and that's why they were prepared to do it. But what do we see here also? When, he, when they arrive, um, they, you can just imagine, they've just had this week's walk um, to get there and he says, oh, hi, guess what? You're never going to see me again. Um, I wonder what they felt. It must have been a real shock. Absolutely. Shock and grief. And it says they, they wept over it and they hugged him and they kissed him. It was a time of extreme emotion. And you can imagine, Paul, don't say we won't see you again. Don't, don't do it. Do something else. We want to see you again. Think of what you did for our church. You can do it again elsewhere. Um, but Paul said in Margaret Thatcher's immortal words, he was not for turning. And he set his, his mind resolutely to go on to Jerusalem. And so we pick up the story at Tyre. And it says there in Tyre that he sought out the disciples. You know, it doesn't say he sought out the believers because believing in God doesn't get anybody anywhere. I'm not being a heretic in saying that. I'll give you a rationale. Satan believes in God and I don't think it's going to do him a lot of good. Um, believing in God is not enough. You need to be a disciple. And the word disciple means imitator. They were imitators of Christ. This was a powerhouse of a church here. Um, they were strong um, in the, the spiritual gifts. And he spent a full week with them with these peers of his. 
and it said they had the spiritual gift in operation. But, you know, having a word of knowledge of what's going to happen isn't the same as knowing what you should be doing. And so spiritual gifts are absolutely vital. They really are. But be careful not to have a natural interpretation of what happens um, as a result. And so they also pleaded with him not to go on. But again, Paul was not for turning. And so he went to his last stop, Caesarea. Um, this was also his last port. He disembarked at this point. And he, he stayed in Philip's house, Philip the Evangelist's house. And Philip had four prophetic daughters. I've got one pathetic daughter, but I don't know if that counts. Um, no, it's not really. Uh, four prophetic daughters. And you wonder, he's a week in there with these four girlies all prophesying at him. And if that wasn't enough, then a few days later, it says Agabus arrived. Now, Agabus was, if you like, the, the Billy Graham, the D.L. Moody, the John Wesley, whatever you want, um, of, of his day. And his word was definitive. If he said it, you can believe that was what, what God was saying. And he came along. And he said, and he illustrated it by tying Paul's um, belt round his wrists. And he said, if you go down to Jerusalem, you will be incarcerated and you will be handed over to the Romans. And you know, I think there might have been just a little bit of deja vu there because back in Corinth, when he was about to leave that church, he got there, done his stuff there, was about to come home to Antioch, he was about to go to the port, and there was an assassination plot was discovered. And so instead of going east to the port, he headed north and went all the way, the long way round, um, back to Miletus. And so, deja vu. Um, you know, what should, I, what should I be doing here? Um, but the logical thing would be to actually not go in east to Jerusalem, but to go north, back up to his home at Antioch. But, you know, he didn't do that. Um, he didn't do that at all. It was actually the crunch time. This was his last opportunity um, to change his course. And yet, once again, he wasn't for turning. You know, it was only 50 miles away from Jerusalem at this point. This was the last possible point at which he could uh, change his mind, but he chose not to. He wasn't for turning. So, what have we got here? Any guesses? Or have you all gone to sleep? No? It's a quick recap. Sort yourselves. <laughs> um, right. Okay, so we've got Paul. Um, there, we see. Um, he felt compelled by the Spirit. Compelled by the Spirit. He was going to go on to Jerusalem, come what may, because he listened to God. At Miletus, we saw them put emotional pressure on them, all the hugging and the weeping and the kissing and whatever. 
He was coerced not to go. Attire that his peers put on spiritual pressure. His brothers in Christ tried to convince him not to go. And at Caesarea, the people there pleaded with him not to go because it was illogical. He got away from assassination and death before. He could get away from it again. And yet, he decided that he would go. Um, what we've got here is distractions. Um, there's so many things. Everybody was saying, don't go. And sometimes the popular way is not the right way. In fact, quite often, the popular choice is not the right choice. There's the emotions, and you get hype, and you get pushed into a direction because of the, the hype and the emotion. That's not right. You should be listening to the inner voice. There's the peer pressure from dear, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who, you know, you really respect. But if God's spoken to you differently, thank them, but say, I'm listening to God on this one. There's the logic of the situation. We can put our own spin on it. You know, if I do this, that will happen. Therefore, I won't do this, I'll do that instead. And of course, the self-interest. Do I want to go and get arrested and handed over to the Romans? No, I don't. But Paul wasn't worried about any of that. And I just urge these things to be looked at instead. Just two points here. Be receptive. Listen to God and then submit to God. It's no good listening to God with it. Oh God, thanks for that little word. I'm just, um, haven't got time for that at the moment. Maybe next week but I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. No. Paul listened to God and he submitted to God. And it then says, be resolute. Be resolute. You know, that's the best image I could find for that one. Ignore self-interest. You know, is this good for me? Is this going to move me forward in life? That doesn't really matter, or it shouldn't matter. And ignore the distractions, whatever they were, that we came across before. That was what I asked you to remember early on, and the, the clicker's not working properly, but the last two lines of that, um, trust your inner vision. Don't let others change your mind. You know, it's almost biblical, that. Um, making your mind up. When you're making your mind up, and we make thousands of decisions a day, some little ones, non-essential. Non How many times do I hit the alarm clock before I have to get up? Um, you know, that's neither here nor there. Some really big ones. Some life-changing ones. Um, but trust your inner vision on, on making your mind up. And don't let others change your mind. Rather, be compelled by the Spirit of God. Can we just bow our heads in prayer and just reflect on that a moment? Let's just think about whether we find time to listen to God.
or perhaps we could make a, a resolution in our hearts right now to make sure that in future we have more time to listen to God. Are we submitted to God? If we hear his voice, do we argue with him about it? Or are we happy to carry it out? Are we easily distracted? Do we tend to go with the flow? Or do we listen? Are we affected by emotion, self-interest, by logic, any of those other things? Or are we resolute? Heavenly Father, we pray that you've spoken to us through your word. You've spoken to our hearts through your spirit. Help us, Father, to find more time to listen to that inner voice, to listen to the spirit. Help us, Father, to learn to submit fully to your spirit, to put you before self-interest. Help us, Father, not to be distracted, but to do your will. Just as Christ said, not my will, but thine. May we say the same thing. Not our will, but thine. So, Father, help us as we determine these things through this week coming, that we'll listen to you, that we'll resolve to submit to you, and be resolute in doing what you ask us to do. Amen. Amen.